Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. It is no secret that Jody and I are not gardeners. <laughs> In fact, for years and years, uh, I considered our front porch as the place where plants came to die. Uh, Jody liked having plants out on the front porch, and she would bring them home, and I would say, ah, fresh offerings, uh, because they were doomed. Uh, uh, but that's okay. You know what? We have other gifts, and, uh, and we have people in our lives that love to garden, and, uh, and we benefit from that, and, and I am grateful for people that like to garden and cultivate, cultivate flowers. We've got beautiful flowers here, and, uh, uh, and, and of course, botany and horticulture and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that goes back, uh, 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 that goes back centuries, uh, back into the ancient world, you know, they were mucking around with plants and figuring out how to how to graft in branches and, and do all that kind of stuff. And certainly, we've brought it to uh, 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 we've we've brought a level of of uh, sophistication to it uh, that the ancient world probably never even thought about. Do you know? Do you, do you know that you could actually have a single fruit tree in your backyard, one tree that 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 produced peaches, and nectarines, and plums, and apricots. Yeah, yeah. One tree, four different fruits. It's, it's grafting, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty significant uh, uh, science. But you, you, can go on, you can go online, and you can, uh, you can Google, uh, how, how, do I, how do I grow a fruit cocktail tree? And it'll tell you. It'll tell you. Uh, but again, it, you know, it's nothing new. These, uh, this, this idea of grafting in branches uh, is, is, is as old as the Bible. And uh, in fact, uh, as, you know, we, we read about a little horticulture this morning as, as Wesley read about the, uh, um, uh, Israel as the, as the vine. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm mindful of, uh, of John, John's gospel. In chapter, uh, chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, my Father is the gardener. Uh, and, and of course, we know that Jesus and the Father are one. And uh, I'll never forget a couple years ago, somebody was talking about the, the resurrection story. And you'll remember when Jesus taps Mary on the shoulder and she turns around and thinking he's the gardener, asks, where have you taken my Lord? Well, she was right. He was the gardener. He, 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 he's the ultimate gardener. And, and of course, Paul takes uh, these images as well as he helps us to understand exactly what's going on in God's kingdom, in God's plan with regard to the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the 11th chapter of the book of Romans. We are uh, romping through Romans, as uh, J. Vernon McGee would be uh, uh, inclined to say. And these, uh, these three chapters, chapters 9, 10, and 11, uh, uh, Paul is wrestling with the place of the Jews in the kingdom of God. 
And there's so much that is, that is packed into these three chapters. Uh, and, and some stuff is clear and other stuff is clear as mud. And we're trying to just kind of sort through it so that we can wrap our minds around what God is doing. I think as we, as we move into this 11th chapter, and again, you know what? You're sitting at home and you're trying to figure out what to do. It wouldn't be a bad idea to go back in, into the book of Romans this next week uh, and start with chapter 1 and read through chapter 11 uh, because he is building arguments here and he is teaching us a theology. And Romans, a Bible within a Bible, is a very doctrine-oriented book. This is a book that makes us think about our faith and think deeply. And that is something that all of us, all of us need to do more of, to think and to think deeply about what we believe, why we believe it, and and how it impacts our lives, how we are to live our lives in light of what we know and what we believe. And as we move into, continue moving through this 11th chapter, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful that uh, uh, in this section here, in this, in this 9, 10, and 11, uh, that, that Paul mentions that not all of Israel is Israel. Not all of Israel is Israel. That there is this remnant uh, within the nation of Israel. There is always the, the 7,000 uh, that will not bow the knee to Baal. God will always have a witness and sustain a witness for himself. He did it throughout the history of Israel. And as we look in the, New, in the Old Testament and explore the nation of Israel, we see that faith ebbed and flowed. And when it, uh, uh, when it flowed out the door, uh, they suffered consequences for that. But even at that point, and I'm convinced of this, people, even, even when they were at their lowest and they were at the, the, the furthest they could find themselves uh, from God in terms of how they were living their lives, that there was always that remnant. Even in the darkest times, when the northern kingdom was wiped out by the Assyrians, there was a remnant. And you think, oh my gosh. This, this, these were people who loved and served the Lord, and yet they suffered at the hands of the Assyrians. Yep, that's what happens. There was a remnant when the Babylonians came in and wiped out the southern kingdom and destroyed the temple. Yes, there was a remnant. There is always a remnant. There will, no matter what happens to the, to the institutional church, no matter what happens at any time, God will always have a faithful witness. And that's where we want to find ourselves. We want to find ourselves as part of that remnant, part of that faithful witness to God, regardless of the circumstances that go on around us. And so remember that not all Israel is Israel, but there's always that remnant, that faithful remnant within the nation of Israel. And so Paul starts off in, this, in the 11th chapter by asking the question, did God reject his people? And of course, he says, by no means. He himself is a Jew. And so there's a, always a Jewish witness to what God is doing and what God is doing through Jesus Christ. There is always going to be a Jewish witness. And then, and, and then as we, we move down through there, and we talked about this last week, uh, moving into our passage today, 11.11, And again, uh, Paul says, again I ask, 
Did they, the Jews, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Is there no hope for the Jews? Not at all, Paul says. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and to save some of them. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, I find this passage absolutely fascinating. The the parts that I just read to you, absolutely fascinating. And and I'm I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but... As, as I'm reading this, uh, a couple of things come to mind. First off, God had a plan from the very beginning. And we know that because we've read about it. And I've talked about it. You've, you've probably heard me uh, talk about uh, uh, the, the first promises that were given to, uh, to Abraham. So chapters 1 through 11 in the book of Genesis kind of explain uh, uh, who did it. God creates the world, doesn't tell us how he did it. We don't, we don't need to go, get off into those weeds, but, he, we, but we learn who did it, and then we learned what we did with it and, and how, uh, how humanity turned away from God uh, and everything went to, you know, it didn't, didn't turn out well. Uh, in, that, in that 12th chapter in Genesis, we begin uh, reading about God's story and God's plan a plan to reconcile the world, to bring everybody back into a right relationship with him. And he chooses, he chooses Abraham to start that, uh, to start that narrative. And it, it, his first words to Abraham is, is, yo, Abe, well, he might not have said that, but he says, I'm going to take of you and I'm going to make of you a nation and, and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you, every single one of them. That's us, folks. All the nations, all the people are ultimately going to be blessed through what God starts through Abraham. And then we hear that promise reiterated uh, at, the, at the foot of the mountain when, uh, after Moses had led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And, uh, uh, and they're there and, and, uh, and God says, hey, uh, uh, you guys are free to go. Uh, this is Exodus 19. You're free to go if you want. I brought you out of here. I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery, because I love you. Now, if you want to hang around, be my people. I'll be your God, and we can do some pretty cool stuff together. Uh, uh, I will make of you a nation of priests. Think about that for a minute. If Israel is a nation of priests, who are they priesting on behalf of? The rest of the world. Again, God's desire is to reveal himself to the world through the nation of Israel, recognizing that not all of Israel is Israel, but within Israel, there is always going to be a faithful remnant. There is always going to be a witness. There is always going to be, what does uh, Paul call it here in this uh, uh, 16th chapter, uh, uh, a, a holy root, a holy root. 
that is the true remnant that is planted, if you will, think about this, that holy root is planted in the soil of the nation of Israel. That root, that holy root, is planted in the soil of the Hebrew Scriptures. That ought to give us an appreciation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the nation of Israel. Because that is God's chosen instrument to reveal himself to the entire world. Now, going back again, uh, where he says uh, uh, in chapter 11, 11 in Romans, did they stumble so, so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, we just got to take a step back and think about that for a minute. I mean, you know, the, 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 for, the, for the Jewish uh, people, the world was divided up into, into two categories. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. That was it. And, uh, the, and, and historically, they didn't have a real high uh, value on uh, Gentiles. I mean, they saw themselves as God's chosen people, and indeed they are God's chosen people. We can't ever forget that. We can't ever forget that. Now, within Israel... There is an ebb and flow of faithfulness. And at one of those low points, at just the right time, God introduces the Messiah. Not the Messiah that they were anticipating, but the Messiah that they needed. Not a Messiah that was going to restore Israel politically but a, and, and free them from the, 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 the bonds of political sla- slavery, but a Messiah that would free them from the bonds of sin, the slavery to sin, at just the right time. But there was enough of the nation of Israel that was so increvasio, so focused inwardly on who they were, not recognizing what God was doing, that they missed it. Now, think for a minute, what would have happened? I mean, there's no way. I mean, we can speculate what would have happened if if they had not missed it. And Jesus never went to the cross. The cross is our entry into the kingdom of God. And not everybody missed it. We need to remember that. Not everybody missed it. But enough did that Jesus ultimately was handed over to the authorities. Why was he handed over to the authorities? Well, we could talk about all the political ramifications, but in reality, it was sin that handed him over to the authorities. And that was the problem that Jesus was going to deal with once and for all. And when he died on that cross, not only before we go to the cross, and the cross is so important, we need to remember that it is the person of Jesus Christ who shows us the face of God, who teaches us how to live with one another. My commandment I give to you that you should love one another. As I have loved you, so love one another. By, my, by your love, people will know that you are my disciples. And oh, by the way, they're going to hate you because they hated me. And they're going to go after you because they went after me. Don't be discouraged. I've overcome the world. We're going to do something great together. And it's going to be for all eternity. And you're in on it. Now, Jesus is saying this, I would dare say, to the remnant. And even at that point, they didn't fully wrap their mind around what was going on. But they learned from Jesus how to live with one another and how to live in a relationship with God. 
And then when Jesus was handed over and he dies on that cross, it used to be over there, now it's back here. When Jesus died on that cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. And through that act, we are forgiven. And we are restored. And we are reconciled with God. That is a forensic declaration that God makes as if in a court of law. He says, you are now righteous in my sight, in my court, because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And then the power of the Holy Spirit raises him from the dead. And he showed himself through many convincing proofs. This is all the good news. You know this stuff. But it's so important for us to remember that Jesus is raised from the dead. And then for 40 days, he appeared here and there, popping in and out, traveling, if you will, at the speed of thought. Think about that. Until 40 days later, he ascends up into the heavens. And then shortly after that, the day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit comes in and turns the world upside down. Up to this point, up to this point, we are only talking about Jewish believers. There are no Gentiles in the picture at this point. This represents, if you will, that faithful remnant, that Israel within Israel. They are Israel in every sense of the, in every sense of the, uh, uh, of, of the words. But God uses this unique moment in history at a breakdown in the larger Israel that allows for the Gentiles to come in. That's what Paul is saying here. Because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Now, we talk about envy, and uh, I think envy is envy one of the seven deadly sins. Uh, And... uh, is, is there such a thing as good envy? I, I, I actually think there is. I think there is a good envy. If I see someone who is successful in an endeavor that I want to be successful and they move me to envy, then that moves me in a good sense. It can move me to strive to emulate who they are and what they have done that I might achieve the same success that they have achieved. And so I think that's what Paul is talking about here. But we have to ask ourselves, and this is so important. Oh, you cannot miss this. Please do not miss this. What in the world would anybody have to be envious because of you or me? Is it because I'm so so good looking? I'm such a stylish dresser? Is it because of my, uh, my guns? I mean, why would anybody envy me? Why would anybody envy Christians? The only reason that Christians are envied by anyone is because of the abundant life that is available to those who are in Christ Jesus. That abundant life that comes from not only being reconciled with God, but being transformed by God. It is that reconciliation and that transformation that sets us apart. 
I talked about that earlier. So that if anybody asks for the reason of the hope that is within us, why would anybody ask for the hope that is within us if they could not see that there was something different in how we lived our lives and how we treated other people? When Jesus talked about being divine, he says this, I am the vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. If one remains in me and I in in he, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Christ produces fruit. So the question that we need to ask ourselves, if we are abiding in Christ, where is the fruit in my life? You go to a fruit tree, why? Gee, this is a fruit tree, this is a great tree. I'm just going to kind of hang out underneath and uh, hope that something falls in my head so I can discover gravity. No, 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 no. You go to a tree, you go to a fruit tree to pick the fruit so that you can enjoy the fruit of that tree. That, I believe, is what Paul is talking about in hoping that the Jews are envious of the Christians because the Christians are abiding in Christ and abiding in Christ, they are producing fruit. And what is the fruit that a Christian ought to be producing? What is the evidence that you are abiding in Christ? That your life is marked by love, joy, peace, kindness. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Those are the things that set us apart. I mean, those are the people that I want to hang out with. I want to hang out with people that exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. I want to be around joyful people. I don't want to be around miserable people. If somebody is miserable in their lives, I don't want anything to do with them. I'm not going to be envious of somebody that is miserable, but I am going to be envious of somebody that is joyful. And if I see somebody that is joyful, I see somebody that is compassionate, loving, uh, filled with grace and mercy, faithfulness and, and, and goodness, self-control. When I see all that, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to that. And I want to know more. And hopefully that person who is producing that fruit in, them, in their lives will be able to answer the question and tell you how you, you too can have more. See, that's the good news is that this is available to absolutely anybody. It's, it's, it's not isolated to any one group of people. No, not anymore. The reality is God used the nation of Israel during a period of time, during a hardness of their heart, in order to make a window open for us. And, and, and people say, well, that doesn't sound very fair and equitable. Well, you know what? Uh, we only talk about fairness and equality when we feel like we haven't gotten our fair share. And the reality is God doesn't have to uh, justify himself to us in any way, shape, or form. This is what he did. This is what he did. This was a part of his plan from the very beginning. As they stumbled, we were able to walk in. Remember, that early church, they were all Jewish. I'm talking to the Gentiles now. He's talking to us. I'm a Gentile. 
Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, make much of my ministry and hope that somehow I may arouse my own people to envy, to envy and to save some. For if their rejection is reconciliation for the world, get it? This is part of God's plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that anyone who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What will their acceptance be but life from dead? Remember the story of the prodigal son? He comes back, and, 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 his, and his father is waiting for him. He goes, first thing he does in the morning, he's checking. He, it, all through the day, he's checking. Before he goes to bed at night, he's checking. And then one day, he sees, he sees, his, he sees his son coming back, and he runs and embraces him. Of course, the older brother is a little ticked off. He says, Dad, what gives? He says, ah, all that I have, it's always been yours. But this son of mine was dead, and now he is alive. Think that image when you read these words. If their rejection is reconciliation of the world, a small price to pay, but it was a price that they paid and continue to pay. If their rejection is, is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from dead? Part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. The nation of Israel is the soil in which the remnant, the root, which is holy, is planted. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among them, the other, among the others, now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of their unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant. I think that as Christians today, the ugliest trait that we could ever manifest is arrogance. Arrogance and ingratitude. Oh, my goodness. Tell me where in the fruit of the Spirit we find love, joy, peace, patience, arrogance, uh, ingratitude. No, 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 no. Those, those are not fruit of the Spirit. They're fruit of a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't be arrogant, especially as you look at the branches that have been broken off, the branches that are not yet grafted back in. Did they stumble so far as to be beyond recovery? Not at all. You see, God's plan is still unfolding. God is not finished with the nation of Israel by any stretch of the imagination. But there is an Israel within Israel that is a holy root. And we have been grafted into that holy root as followers of Christ. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And, and you know what? That causes me to take a step back and reflect a couple of months ago. I think it was a couple of months ago. When we were in the eighth chapter of Romans and we were all rejoicing and going, woohoo, because there is not one thing in all of creation that will separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And yet now Paul says, be very, very afraid. Again, remember that corporate inclusion does not absolve us of individual responsibility. 
Now, you want to play with fire, you're going to get burnt. And I don't claim to understand, fully understand and comprehend the mind of God, but I do believe that there is nothing that is going to separate me from the love of God that is mine in Christ Jesus, and my heart's desire is to remain abiding in Christ so that I can draw nourishment from this holy root that my life might produce fruit. If I'm, done, if I'm doing that, I don't need to worry about this other stuff. But I need to do it with a spirit of gratitude, and I need to do it with a spirit of appreciation for the nation of Israel. Because it was through the nation of Israel that salvation has come to the world. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist... If, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in. After all, if you cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into the culti- cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? Living a life that is abiding in Christ is going to produce fruit in your life. Maybe ask somebody close to you, do you see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? And by the way, if you want that list, it's in Galatians 5, I think it's verse 22. If you go to Galatians 5, you can read that that litany, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Ask somebody that's close to you, "Do you do you see these traits in my life? But don't ask if you don't want to know the answer. And if, and if the answer is not what you want, then you need to ask yourself, how do I make sure that I am abiding in Christ and being nourished by Christ? There's your soul exercises. There's the opportunity to cultivate your own relationship with Christ. And as you cultivate, do so with a sense of appreciation and gratitude. And if anything... Pray for Israel. Pray for the Jews. Our lives as followers of Christ are grafted into a holy root which is a representation of that remnant that you read about all through the Old Testament. Planted in the rich soil of the Old Testament. So read your Bible wrestle with it, try to understand, pray for guidance and wisdom to understand it and be grateful to this nation chosen by God through whom salvation would come to the world. Never be condescending, never be arrogant, but be filled with gratitude as we live into the kingdom of God day by day. What is the fruit that your life is evidencing as a result of being a follower of Christ. It has never been more imperative that we as followers of Christ grow deeper in our understanding of who God is calling us to be in these challenging times that we might offer hope to a world that is dying to hear the good news. Pray with me. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. 
For more information, please go to gmpc.org. When it comes to gardening, my wife and I are not known for our green thumbs. At least when it comes to plants. But there is a different kind of gardening. And that is the tending of the garden of God's family. And at that, I think we are moving forward in some pretty significant ways. The challenge is real for all of us. To be very, very intentional in cultivating our own faith. Wrestling with understanding who God is calling us to be. Willing to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Setting ourselves up in situations where we are nurturing our faith. Whether it be through the water of the word. Or through the power of prayer. Or through acts of service and kindness. We're nurturing our faith. And we're reaching out to those around us that we might encourage and nurture them as well. And hopefully we do it with gratitude in our hearts, joyfully, willingly, lovingly, never with arrogance, never with condescension. It's challenging at times, but God is so, so faithful. And the fruit, we can have one tree, Because there is only one church. And that church is sprinkled throughout the worshiping communities all around us. And as we cultivate and nurture this one church, this one tree, the fruit will be abundant. And with that fruit that we get through the Holy Spirit of love, joy, peace, and kindness... We can feed the world that we can draw all to Christ.